You're listening to Comedy Central. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. June 17, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Director of the International Monetary Fund, aka the IMF, and yes, that is as important as it sounds. Christine Lagarde is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also on tonight's show, O.J. Simpson is back. Donald Trump gives us a special tour of the White House, and we find out how many of America's presidents were secretly gay. So let's catch up <laughs> on today's headlines. <laughs> let's kick it off with O.J. Simpson. The notorious memorabilia thief and officially no other kind of criminal. <laughs> Over the weekend, a lot of people who opened up Twitter got a big surprise. There is a lot of reaction to one of the newest members of Twitter, O.J. Simpson, joining the social media site for the first time just days after the 25th anniversary of the murders of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and Ron Goldman. Hey, Twitter world, this is yours truly. Simpson wasting little time to address rumors that have become tabloid fodder over the years. On Sunday, he posted a video denying he ever had an affair with Kris Jenner, saying Khloe Kardashian is not his daughter. Never in any way, shape, or form have I ever had any interest Simpson saying he'll use his new platform in a variety of ways. I got a little getting even to do. Whoa. (laughs) I got a little getting even to do? If you're O.J. Simpson, there are some phrases that you should never use. (laughs) I got a little getting even to do? No. Have you seen my gloves? No. (laughs) And the worst one, pass me the knife. No, O.J. (laughs) You cut your steak with a fork, my friend. I can't believe that O.J. Simpson is on Twitter. Imagine getting a push notification saying, O.J. Simpson is now following you. (laughs) That's the scariest phrase in the English language. (laughs) 
He should have joined Snapchat. At least they destroy the evidence for you. But apparently, the reason OJ joined Twitter is because he wants to respond to rumors about him, like how he and Chris uh, Jenner allegedly had an affair. And of course, OJ says it's not true. But knowing him, he'll deny it now. But in a year, he'll put out a book called If I Hit It. <laughs> Moving on to some international news. South American countries have a history of power struggles, but last weekend, they took it to a whole new level. In South America, a massive power failure left tens of millions of people without electricity today in Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay. The power grids of those countries are all connected, and the blackout affected everything from subways and traffic lights to water distribution. By late afternoon, power had been partially restored. The cause has not yet been found. Okay, this is really weird. Three countries in South America all lost power at the exact same time. And I know what some of you are thinking, like, Trevor, isn't that normal in those countries? Well, yes. <laughs> but not like this, not all at once. It's like when you see one or two spiders in your room, you're like, okay, whatever. But then if you walk into your room and it's waist deep with spiders, some shit has gone down. <laughs> now, there is speculation. There is speculation that the outage could have been a cyber attack. And a lot of experts think that this could be the future of war, where countries are just gonna be hacking into each other's systems, shutting down their grids. In fact, just this weekend, the New York Times reported that America is attacking Russia's power grid. So what if this was Russia trying to get revenge, but they just hit the wrong switch, huh? <laughs> yeah, Vlad was like, I'm flipping switch, but nothing is happening. <laughs> it's like, no, Vlad, that is wrong, America. You're switching off south. Okay, how about this one? No, that's garbage disposal. <laughs> By the way, have you ever noticed how, like, your attitude about a power outage dramatically changes the longer it goes on, right? If there's power that's out for 30 minutes, you're like, oh, this is gonna be romantic. Let's light some candles. <laughs> but up to six hours, you're like, all right, I'm gonna ambush the neighbor and steal his gun. Baby, you strangle his grandmother. <laughs> and finally, some news from the Democratic primary. Pete Buttigieg, Democratic candidate, mayor of South Bend, and real-life boss baby. Over the weekend... <laughs> He did an interview with Axios on HBO, and one thing he said took the reporter a little by surprise. If you were to win the nomination, they'll say you're too young, too liberal, too gay to be commander in chief. You are young, you are liberal, you are gay. How will you respond? Uh, people will elect the, the person who will make the best president. And uh, we have had excellent presidents who have been young. We have had excellent presidents who have been liberal. Uh, I would imagine we've probably had excellent presidents who were gay, we just didn't know which ones. You believe that we've had a gay commander-in-chief? I mean, statistically, it's almost certain. And have, like, in your reading of history, like, do you believe you know who they were? My gaydar doesn't even work that well in the present, let alone, uh, retroactively. <laughs> oh, man! That was such a great response. I love how the journalist was like, I've got who, I've got you, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got. It's so funny that the journalist thinks because Buttigieg is gay, he automatically knows who else is gay. Like, gay people can even recognize each other across time, yeah? It's the same way when I tell people I'm from Africa, some people are like, oh my God, you're from Africa, do you know Mufasa? I'm like, no, you idiot. We went to different high schools, come on. Also, Buttigieg is a better man than me. Because you realize he could have said any president is gay, and that guy would have believed him. Yeah, he could have been like, well, Thomas Jefferson was totally gay. Guy would be like, what? How can you tell? He'd be like, oh, I can tell. <laughs> that would have been it. But here's the thing. There's no way to know for certain which U.S. presidents were gay, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? But there's no way to know. Although Grover Cleveland does have a cameo in the new Taylor Swift video, so you never know. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. 
Phoenix, Arizona. When people think of Phoenix, what do they think of? Well, no one actually thinks of Phoenix, but if they were forced <laughs> to, what would they think of? It would probably be the extreme heat or a college you can graduate from in three weeks <laughs> or the fact that the city's basketball team has the world's most random mascots. Yeah, seriously, how do you pick a gorilla when you're the Phoenix Suns, <laughs> all right? You could have been a Phoenix or you could have been a Sun. A gorilla makes no sense. <laughs> Even gritty makes more sense. <laughs> because that's how you look if you spend your whole life in Philly eating cheesesteaks, all right? <laughs> but the gorilla makes no sense. But Phoenix has also started to become notorious for how bad its police force is, with a record 44 police shootings last year. Yeah, more than any other large city in America. And now, thanks to cell phone video, we get to see it for ourselves. Growing outrage tonight after an extreme reaction from Phoenix police to a little girl swiping a doll. Cops in Phoenix threaten Aisha Harper, a 24-year-old pregnant woman with her two young children by her side. The video starts after the family pulls up at their babysitters and are approached by police with guns drawn. Phoenix police officers at times sounded like hitmen. Get out the car! You are going to get out the Sweet Jesus. I'm gonna put a cap in your head. That's what the cop said. What happened to protect and serve? Like, I'm sorry, everything about that video is wrong. Right? Not only is the cop screaming, like the woman is the one pointing a gun at him, but he's talking about busting caps, like he's a lost member of NWA. There's no, there's no excuse for this. Like, there's no excuse. Unless maybe the cop says he arrests people in the way that he thinks that they speak. You know, maybe he's like, hey, yo, black man, get your ass on the ground. And as for you, USA, you better stop acting like a pendejo. <laughs> and you, Belgian guy, I don't know how you speak. Waffles, waffles, waffles. <laughs> now, what makes this whole thing worse is that this family wasn't robbing a bank or holding people hostage. No, this was the cops responding to a call about a four-year-old who took a Barbie doll out of a dollar store without paying for it. Yeah. And, like, I'm sorry, guys. You don't need to show up like the SWAT team to rescue a Barbie from a little girl. If anything, you should be rescuing the little girl from the Barbie. You should be getting there like, little girl, watch out! That Barbie can give you a warped sense of what a woman's body is supposed to be! Barbie! Barbie, please! Don't do it, Barbie. Think about Ken and your dream house and that new job you just got as a scientist. <laughs> and as traumatic as this experience was, thankfully, thankfully, no one was shot. And honestly, I don't think it's because of the officers. I think it's because of the well-trained civilians who happened to be on the scene. The woman behind this cell phone video asking to take the kids. Oh, look at these kids. Can I get the babies? Excuse me? Excuse me, can I get the kids? Even the bystanders, you can hear them saying, calm down to the police. Hey, hey! Whoa, sir, calm down! Can someone just, like, you know, defuse the situation here? I'm sorry, guys, but this is ridiculous. How do civilians know how to act like the police better than police know how to act like the police? How? Because... Because this guy, this guy's next to the cop, holding his phone, but instead of panicking, he's trying to calm things down. I mean, he's even using the language cops are supposed to be thinking about. Guys, let's defuse this situation. 
That's how you know shit has gone wrong. Because back in the day, the guys holding the phone used to be like, oh man, he about to bust a cap in his ass, world star! But now the cop sounds like that, bust a cap in your ass! And the people filming the thing sound like trained police, you know, all right, de-escalate the situation, come on. Remember to read him his Miranda rights, come on. And you would think, you would think cops cursing at civilians and pointing guns at a four-year-old child would be as bad as the story could get. But what makes it even worse is that if we didn't have these videos, those cops would have been able to paint a very different picture of how this all went down. Major differences emerging between the police report and the video captured by witnesses. Nowhere in the report does he mention yelling, you're going to get effing shot, or I'm going to put an effing cap right in your effing head. In the video, Officer Meyer clearly kicks the leg of the handcuffed father. In the report, though, he writes, I made him spread his feet. You know what's most troubling about this? is that it makes you wonder how many people have been arrested and put in jail because everyone assumes the police version of the events is always the truth. Like, time and time again, time and time again, cell phone videos contradict the official reports. Because you saw the video, he kicks his leg. The guy's not doing anything, he kicks his leg. But in the report, he says, I made him spread his feet. Cops report makes it sound like a peaceful yoga instructor. It's like, and then I moved him into downward mother dog. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> and you know what's sad about this whole story is that as harrowing as it was, this family is one of the lucky ones because none of them were shot and calm bystanders recorded the entire thing to back them up. And now, their lawyer is helping them sue that police department for $10 million. <laughs> which... Which won't help erase what happened to them, but it will help that little girl buy a shitload of those dolls. <laughs> we'll be right back. Sixteenth Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the internet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? But there's way more to this story than that. The Dress went viral in early 2015, marking one of the last months that the internet could still be fun. It was just before Trump declared his candidacy for president and polarized and already polarized internet. It was just shy of people deciding what went viral instead of algorithms. And it was just shy of celebrities realizing that they should never, ever tweet. It's more than a character of the day. It's an entire moment in time bottled in a little, well, either blue and black or white and gold package. I'm not relitigating it again. You cannot make it. And that's just one story. We've got a million. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the 
show. You know, one of the things that makes President Trump so unique is the way he interacts with the media. He doesn't give many traditional press conferences. You know, he mostly just shouts at reporters in front of a helicopter or (laughs) takes a few questions when he's with a foreign leader or his favorites just shares policy ideas at the drive-thru. He's like, let me get a burger, no lettuce, no pickles, and no deal with Iran. It's like, okay, sir, do you want fries with that? The Iran deal? No, sir, the burger. Okay, because if the Iran deal comes with fries, I would be open to negotiating. (laughs) What's also interesting about Donald Trump is sometimes he'll switch things up and he'll give one reporter total access to him for an entire day. And the latest example was with ABC's George Stephanopoulos. And one thing we learned from this interview was that Trump may not like intelligence briefings or cabinet meetings or reading in general, but he loves giving tours. The Oval Office is such a special place. Show us around. The famous desk. Oh, that's a very famous desk. That's the Resolute Desk. You have your choice of seven desks. They have seven desks. They give you pictures of desks. They give you pictures of carpet. This is the Ronald Reagan carpet. They give you pictures of the drapes. You see the drapes? They say, I think we have 12 sets of drapes we can use. Here's your new Air Force One. It's gonna look incredible. It's gonna look sleeker. What's the biggest personal really touch you've put on the office? Well, I put a lot of them, uh, the flags. You didn't have flags to any great degree. It's like the, the weirdest episode of MTV Cribs. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is my flags. Yeah, yeah, this is my desk. That is a lot of flags, though, right? And it seems innocent, but when you think about what Trump does to flags in public, I don't even want to imagine what he does when they're alone. <laughs> yeah, those flags were probably like, Stephanopoulos, take us with you. Please, Stephanopoulos, please. Trump spent so much time showing George Stephanopoulos around, you'd think that he was looking to sublet the Oval Office. But since he had a member of the fake news media there, he also used the opportunity to hit back at them and their phony reporting. I watched your show this morning. I watched Good Morning America. And they had uh, something about uh, the polling. And it's really suppression polling, it's fake polling. But in that case, it was just made up polling. And I had, made they, I had the same thing made up. I mean, they give you phony numbers. They give you numbers. They said that they have access to numbers, which I don't believe they have access to. Trump basically treats polls the way some people treat their bathroom scales, you know? <laughs> yeah, when you're happy with the number, you're like, yeah, this is science. I mean, that's what I weigh. I mean, this, this technology. But if the number is not what you want it to be, you're like, this, is, this shit is going back to Bed Bath & Beyond. That's not, that's not right. That's not right. Is this pounds or kilograms? <laughs> Unfortunately for Trump, though, there's one poll that he couldn't blame the media for because it was done by his own campaign. The Trump campaign's internal polling shows the president trailing former Vice President Joe Biden in critical battleground states, 39 to 55% in Pennsylvania, 41 to 51 in Wisconsin, and by seven points in Florida. CBS News has learned the Trump campaign fired several pollsters after those internal polling numbers were leaked. (laughs) Oh, man. So Trump learns that he's behind in the polls and he responds by firing his pollsters, (laughs) which makes sense to me. It's like how I used to have Ebola, but then I fired my doctor, so I don't have Ebola anymore, yeah. (laughs) I'm just a regular guy who pees out of his butt. (laughs) My favorite moment from this interview, my favorite moment was when Trump talked about releasing his tax returns. Not because I think he'll actually release them at this point, it's more likely that he'll release an album of duets with Hillary Clinton, no. What made this thing interesting was that while Trump was talking, someone in the background coughed 
and just watch what happens after that. They're after my financial statement, the Senate. They'd like to get my financial statement. At some point, I hope they get it. You're going to turn it over? No, at some point, I might. But at some point, I hope they get it because it's, <laughs> it's a fantastic financial statement. It's a fantastic financial statement. And uh, let's do that over. He's coughing in the middle of my answer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't like that, you know? When like your hey, chief of staff. If you're going to cough, please hey, leave the room. Get a shot of, and I'll, yeah. I'll come over here. Just, just can't, you just can't. Just to change the shot. Okay. Sorry. Okay, do you want to do that a little differently then? Yeah, or? we just changed the angle. Okay. Yep. Thank you. So at some point, so at some point, I look forward to, frankly, I want, I'd like to have people see my financial statement because it's, it's phenomenal. Yo, are you serious? It's like a real life episode of The Office. He's looking at the camera, the camera's going off. Like, I half expected Dwight to pop up on screen and just shake his head. But you have to give it to Trump. He might not be a good president, but he is a fantastic television professional. He knows his angles. He's giving them different line readings. He's changing it up. They're coming for my precious tax returns. And I, wait, who's coughing? All right, let me take that again. They're coming for my precious tax returns. All right, that was the one, that was the one. And by the way, I don't think it was a coincidence that his chief of staff just happened to cough right when Trump was talking about releasing his tax returns. Yeah, that didn't sound like a real cough. It sounded more like a shut the f up about your taxes. <laughs> That's what that was. So. That was Trump's one-on-one -on -one with ABC. And really, this makes it clear why he doesn't do interviews very often. Because in one interview, he contradicted himself on the polls, he flipped out at his coughing staff, and worst of all, he somehow managed to look shorter than George Stephanopoulos. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say tomorrow's interview will be back at the drive-thru. We'll be right back. tonight is the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. Please welcome Madame Christine Lagarde. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. It is not often that I sit across people who have access to a trillion dollars. Is this a good time to ask for a loan? Is this, is this <laughs> when I do it? For, for those who don't know, what is the job of the IMF? Do you mind a teeny tiny bit of history? Of course. Okay, we just celebrated the Second World War anniversary 75, 75 years ago. Right. We are celebrating our 75th anniversary as well. Oh, wow. Because what happened at the time, countries decided that fighting each other, killing each other was probably not the way to go because it all started with a bad economic situation. Yes. So they thought, rather than do that, why don't we set up a club, give it a lot of money, and have competent people, number one, give some economic advice, number two, give some loans in case any member of the club is not doing so well, right. and number three, ask them to give technical assistance. That's what we do. We try to help countries with better prosperity, and we try to help with financial stability so that the world is not going in too bad a direction. It's interesting that you got this job at a time when the world was going in a bad direction because you took over 
like basically at the peak of the financial crisis. And some people have, have said that's, that's another example of, I don't know if you've heard of it, the glass cliff. You know, you have the glass ceiling and they say the glass cliff is when something goes really bad and then they give the job to a woman. They're like, all right, all right you can Correct. have it now. Yes. yes, you're right. Oh, okay, uh, yes. great. <laughs> Did it, did it feel like you were stepping into a job where you were destined to fail? Because you've succeeded now, but I mean, at that moment, was it terrifying? It was intimidating, yes. But your point is so right. Whenever the situation is really, really bad, you call in the woman. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the woman did a great job. I mean, you came in, no, you, you've, you've been lauded as someone who is not just, uh, you know, apt at handling money and understanding the cause of the world, but you've moved the IMF forward. I mean, you know, the IMF was once regarded as, a, as an institution that was only dealing with African countries, et cetera. Mm. But recently, the IMF was bailing out Greece. The IMF was helping countries in Europe that have been yep. struggling. When you look at the challenges the world is facing now, what do you think we need to be looking out for that could lead to the next conflict based on economics that's, that's causing people to just, I guess, flare up in different ways? I'll tell you what I think are the two key priorities going forward. Number one is climate change. Mm -hmm. Number two is rising inequalities. If we could fix those two things, it might significantly improve the position. How do you and begin to fix those things? Well, I'll give you an example on climate change. Around the world, you have roughly... Oh, five trillion dollars that are being spent on subsidies to burn fossil fuel. This is not a good use of public finance. Instead of that, you should put that money in health, in education, in hospitals, in infrastructure. That right? is a lot of money, yeah. It is a lot of money. But, but someone might say to you, yes, but they're giving that money to fossil fuel industries because they need to boost economies. Why do you think, from your experience, it's more important to be investing in social, uh, you know, social grants, social ideas that move people forward, like hospitals, like schools, et cetera. Why, how does that help an economy? Well, first of all, it helps by reducing the inequalities. If uh, young kids in all countries of the world, particularly the low-income countries, can go to school, they will be better off. Right. If uh, women, for instance, can actually, instead of walking miles to get water, as is the case in so many countries, can actually access a road, a highway, mm -hmm. and go and fetch water without having to spend all that, all those, those hours. Right. If kids are born in hospital where there is a appropriate care, then clearly they're going to be better off for the rest of their life. So by doing that, you improve the, the prosperity of people, not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in five and 10 years time, because that's critically important for the future. You have to have a long-term view in your job though, because you're working with so much money and you're working with the future of countries and the world. One of the issues you've been vocal about has been the trade disputes happening right now, especially yep. between America and China. And you actually said to both of the boys leading their countries, they both need to calm down yep. and they need to work this out. Now, on the American side, I, I can't speak for China's policy, but I know on the American side, Donald Trump's argument has been they have to impose these, um, these trade policies. They have, to, they have to block China because uh, American industries are suffering and they have to impose these tariffs. How do you respond to that? And, and, and what do you think a possible solution could be for the small business owner slash the industries that are feeling it and the economy and the global economy at, at, at large? Mm. Well, I'd say two things. One is um, President Trump has a point concerning... Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, no, he has a point um, on intellectual property. Yes. It is correct that nobody should be stealing intellectual property to go ahead, to move ahead. Right. He has a point on subsidies. 
you cannot just go about competing with others out there that are being heavily subsidized. So on those two points, you, you can't either say, well, welcome in my country, but you're only going to come if you're going to transfer technology, and this is compulsory. You have right, no right, option. Right. So on these three points, it, clearly the game has to change. Mm -hmm. The rules have to be respected. But where it doesn't work is when you say, I'm going to raise tariffs. Because the impact of raising tariffs is not going to be on China. The impact is going to be on those companies in the United States that are importing goods from outside the US. Right. And the ultimate person who will bear the brunt of those tariff increases are the consumers, and particularly the low-income consumers, those who need to actually buy reasonably cheap products because they can get by with those products. And they are the ones who are going to actually suffer the consequences of tariff increases. So I'm saying to all those involved in trade discussions, you know, we need adults in the room. Uh, you need to hear. <laughs> you need to hear. You need to hear the economic facts, not focus on one or two numbers, but look at the overall picture mm -hmm. and understand that if, if you actually do that, you're going to give a little haircut to the global economy. We've calculated that if there is tariff on the entire business between the US and China, at 25% as is threatened, already applied on some, it's going to shave off about half a percentage point of growth. That's the equivalent of removing South Africa from the planet. What? Yeah. In terms of size, that's the equivalent of the GDP of South Africa. Why did you choose South Africa? <laughs> you made it personal. Wow. You, you, you are always dealing with such big issues. And I mean, that it is an international monetary fund. One of the main things that you have been a driver of, one of the main issues has been empowering women and not in a charity sense, mm. but in a business sense. Yeah. You know, you, you very famously had the, the quote where you came out and said, if Lehman Brothers was Lehman Brothers and Sisters, maybe they would have done a little bit better. Yes. Right? Why is it so important for countries to invest in women beyond the niceness of it all? Yeah, I've given up on the morality and charity side of things. Because, oh, you have? No, I'll tell you why, not personally. But because it doesn't seem to impress people. Yes. So I said, fine, you're not impressed by that? It's a moral imperative, you're not concerned? Okay. Now, let me tell you that if on the economic side, you increase the size of the economy. You improve the income per capita, each individual mm -hmm. in, in, in society. And if at the company level, you actually get a better profit at the end of the year because there will have been women on the board or women in the executive team. Aren't you concerned about that? I don't know yet and I have to meet yet the leader of a country who says, no, I don't want more growth. No, I don't want a larger economy. No, I don't want to distribute more income. Right. They all want the same thing. So bring the women. If you look at the participation of women in the economy, you usually have 15% difference. If you look at the wages of women versus men, mm -hmm. same job, same effort, you have at least 16% difference. Why is that? This is a complete waste of time and waste of energy and waste of resources. So women have to be given the same opportunities, be given the same salary, and have the same exactly rights as men. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Wonderful having you. Good luck at the G20. Christine Lagarde, everybody.
The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week, I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Take The Dress. Most people remember it as an optical illusion that went viral, asking everyone on the planet, is this dress blue and black or white and gold? Turns out, that story was way bigger than just an optical illusion. It's a cautionary tale about the decline of clickbait sites, the rise of algorithms and internet polarization, and the end of fun on the internet. Seriously, and that's just one story. We're giving every character their 16th minute. So listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.